Well, if you are visiting with us this morning, we are in a series in the middle of Acts. So if you would like to turn with me to the book of Acts, and we're going to begin to read at chapter 25. So Acts 25, and we're nearing the end of our series. We'll complete it just after Easter. But this morning we're in Acts 25, and we're thinking about how the gospel goes to the ends of the earth. So Acts 25, we're going to begin to read at verse 23, and then we're going to go into chapter 26. We'll take a little bit of a break for a few verses, and then we'll pick up the reading again further down in verse 12 of chapter 26. So this is Paul. He's in the middle of the trials, and this is his third trial, and we pick up the reading at verse 23 of chapter 25. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send on the prisoner without specifying the charges against him. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Now, what happens in the next few verses, Paul uh, highlights uh, to Agrippa his background and the fact that he had been persecuting Christians. And then we pick up the reading again in verse 12. So we're in this almost courtroom-like scene Paul's before King Agrippa and the other leading officials. He's been summoned to speak, and we're going to pick it up in verse 12 of chapter 26. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, 
first to those in Damascus, and then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day. And so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because, he was not done, because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray that I pray, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them, they left the room, and while talking with one another, they said, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us. Uh, well, uh, let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 25 and 26, particularly 26 is where we're going to spend most of our time. I don't know if you uh, ever think about your life and think, well, if we can just get through the next two or three months, then things will get smoother. I've been saying that for about uh, 50 years now, and uh, I'm, I'm still saying it. I'm still optimistic. Um, and, and whenever I, I do think about that, I, I, I think about Paul and uh, the fact that if he were to look at this part of his life towards the later part of his life, uh, his life just got anything but smoother. It got more and more challenging. He, he, he ended up imprisoned. He has three very significant trials uh, in front of people who are uh, able to take his life. And uh, as we go on in the story, we see that he has a shipwreck to go through and then uh, imprisonment in Rome. His life is anything but smooth. There's lots happening in these chapters. Let's just say a, a little bit about uh, how Paul has got here. He's been on his missionary journeys. He's come back to Jerusalem in order to bring a gift to them from the Gentile churches, uh, to the church in Jerusalem, and to help them in their hardships. And when he's there, his Jewish opponents stir up trouble against him. There's a riot. He's arrested. He appears before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders. They're outraged at him, 
and, and a plot emerges to kill him. But the Roman uh, leader uh, hears about this. He's transferred up to Caesarea. He's tried there before Felix, a man called Felix, back uh, a few chapters earlier. He's the Roman governor. Uh, Felix keeps him in jail because he hopes he's going to get a bribe from him. And that happens for two years. He, he just stays there for two years. Felix was a really, really bad a, a, an unjust ruler. He's eventually replaced by this man called Festus. And yet, rather than release Paul, the, he, he knows he's not really, a, shouldn't be there, but rather than release him, he hopes to keep him in jail and a, keep in with the Jews. And that sort of brings us to the end of chapter 24. And then there's a, there's a trial at the beginning of chapter 25 and in it, Paul appeals to go to Caesar. That was his uh, right as a, a Jewish, uh, uh, or as a Roman citizen. He appeals uh, to Caesar to have his case heard uh, by Caesar. Now, just as a, a little aside, there are going to be a number of little asides through this journey through these chapters uh, this morning. It, it is quite remarkable, isn't it, that here is Paul, uh, the the... the the most strategic weapon, as it were, in the task of taking the gospel to the world. A tremendous preacher, a tremendous missionary, and yet in the purposes of God, he is set aside in prison for so long. It is an encouragement, I'm sure, to our brothers and sisters across the world who know that their chains do not mean that God is not watching over them, that they can know that God's plan has not failed. But we should remark, shouldn't we, that, that God's greatest servant in the book of Acts, it is God's purpose for him just to have him set aside as the work goes on, and yet this tremendously powerful servant spends much of his life in chains. Well, as all of this is happening, the Herodian king, Agrippa, pays the new governor Festus a visit. They're hanging out for a while, and you can just imagine uh, the sort of conversation that, that happens. And Agrippa says, well, any interesting prisoners lately? And, and Festus says, well, actually, yes, I've got this guy. He's down in the, the basement. He's in the jail. And uh, I really don't know what to do with him. He's appealed to Caesar. I don't know what to write in the covering letter. And Agrippa says, well, look, let me have a look at him. Agrippa is part of the Herodian dynasty. His father had killed uh, John the Baptist. He's part of that line from Herod the Great where the, who had killed the baby boys in Jerusalem. He, he's a, a thoroughly a difficult man. He, he has maybe been a little bit less cruel than the, the previous Herods, uh, but here he is with Bernice, his sister, who the rumors were they were in an incestuous relationship. He's not a moral man at all. And we read in uh, chapter 25, verse 23, the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. So here's Paul. Tradition says that Paul was unimpressive. He was, he was little. He, he was not a powerful speaker. And he comes before these great rulers. The word pomp is the word fantasia, from which we get our word fantastic, but also fantasy. And it's all, it's all a show. And look as contrasting 
the showy, fleeting, worldly splendor of the king and the governor with little old Paul in his chains who knows Jesus. Isn't it interesting? All the pomp. And then there's Paul. And yet 2,000 years later, well, the things that Agrippa stood for are archaeological ruins. And the things that Paul stands for, we are, well, we're worshiping the Lord Jesus today. What, what, what does Paul say as he stands before this splendid gathering? Well, he, he talks about his conversion. He talks about his commission. And then he brings a challenge. And that's just how we're going to think our way through uh, this story. He talks about his conversion First of all, he tells his story. And of course, if we know anything about Paul at all, it is a remarkable story. He, he tells about his upbringing and his uh, living as a Pharisee. Verse 4 of chapter 26, the Jews all know the way I lived since I was a child from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They've known me for a long time and can testify if they're willing that according to the strictest sect of the, our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. Now, one of the things about the Pharisees and the Jews in general was that they were waiting for the Messiah, one who would come from God to put things right, to be the savior of his people. And Paul was hoping for that, along with the other Pharisees. Verse 7, this is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. And then Jesus comes, and people begin to say, he's the very one that we've been waiting for. And of course, if you listen carefully to what Jesus said, you would know that, 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 and saw what he did, you would know that that was obvious, that he was the Messiah. But Paul and the rest of the Pharisees don't believe that, and they're not content to people, to let people have their own opinions and so on, think that it will die away. They strongly oppose Jesus and uh, his followers. Verse 9, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. So he's pretty committed. Now, what would it take to turn someone like that around? Could you meet him for a coffee and, and, and try to present some significant arguments to him to set, get him to change sides? Would, would rational argument do it? Probably not. It, it's really going to take a miracle, isn't it? And then that's what happens in verse 12. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a loud voice, or a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goals. There is a miracle. Jesus shows up. Little phrase, eh, hard for you to kick against the goads is interesting. A goad, you might know it was a, a pointed stick that a farmer would have used if he was plowing with the oxen, to stop the, the oxen going backwards in the, in the yoke and so on. It would have eh, guided them in the right direction. If they kicked against the goad, it would have hurt them. And it was a way of... of, of of, of put, putting someone in a certain direction that you wanted them to go. And it was a phrase that was used to speak of the inevitability of going against God. And that was what was happening. In all of his sincerity and zealousness, Paul was going against God. In the persecution of Christians, he was actually persecuting Jesus. Wonderful that Jesus is so identified with his people that to persecute them is to persecute him. 
Isn't it astonishing that Paul should be converted? One so hostile to Jesus, has heart so full of hatred towards his people and, and towards Jesus himself. What, what dreadful things he must have said to Jesus as he stomped along the road to Damascus, said about Jesus and thought about Jesus. And yet, Jesus meets him and saves him. We just need to be reminded again and again, don't we, that there is no one beyond the converting reach and power of Jesus. Do we think that of some people we know, some people that we're friendly with, some people who are in our family circles perhaps, we, we, we think, oh, there's just, there's no chance for them. And yet it's, it's not the case, is it? Paul would show us that it's not the case. What does it need? It needs a miracle. It needs a miracle for, for the person that we think is closest. It needs a miracle for the person that we think is furthest away. And maybe even some of us who, who are here or who are listening, we think, oh, I, I, I would love this, but, but I've just gone too far, and I, I've, I'm beyond the reach of Jesus. He wouldn't want me. I, I've, I've been too, too hostile. But look at Paul. If Jesus can save Paul, he can save anyone. He can save you. And we will see that Paul thinks that he can save even somebody like Agrippa. Do you think that God can save you? Of course he can. And you know what? You might be finding that it's hard for you to kick against the goads, that, that, that it's actually quite difficult for you to, to, to resist the way that you feel it. Maybe God is beginning to lead you in your life. Conversion. God, through his Son, by the Spirit can save anyone. Commission. But Paul really emphasizes the fact that Jesus commissions him to go to the world with the gospel and particularly to go to the Gentiles. See verse 17, 18, I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. Beautiful little description of what Jesus commissions Paul to do. Paul is going to present Christ to people. That's what he's doing. And as he does that, Jesus is saying, as you do that, as, as, you, as you put Jesus in front of people, there are some things that are going to happen. Eyes will be opened. Now, there's something that we might not think about, but it's incredibly important. The Bible says that we are by nature blind to spiritual truth. We, we cannot see the truth of the gospel. We, we don't easily see our need, or if we, if we do begin to feel our need, then we, <coughs> excuse me, we come to the wrong conclusions about what we need to meet that need. But when Jesus is presented to us, as Jesus was presented by Paul, then it might just be that we begin to see. We say, goodness, how, how did I never see this before? Why have I been so blind? Our eyes are open. Then, then we're, we're turned from darkness to light. Very clear picture, isn't it? 
frustrating whenever we're plunged into darkness. We can't see the way. We're afraid. You've maybe had that experience of, of finding somewhere new, and you've gone out for a walk, and you've, you've walked somewhere in darkness, and everything's intimidating. You don't really know where you're going. And you walk that same path in the light, and it's straightforward. It makes sense. And Jesus saves us and takes us from darkness to light. And then we're moved from being under the power of Satan to God, you see? So it's not just about our blindness and the darkness that involve. We realize that there are other forces at work here. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We, we, we are, again, by nature, under his power and influence, and he keeps us from seeing Christ. And when Christ is proclaimed, then we move from being under his power to God, not just under God's influence, but to God himself. And what happens then? Well, then we're forgiven so that we may receive forgiveness of sins. Our, our, our sins, past, present, and future, are wiped out, canceled, forgiven. Isn't that great news? And is that it? Well, no. A, a work begins in us. It's a work of transformation. We get a place amongst those who are sanctified by, play, by faith in me. A place amongst those who are sanctified. I don't know if you've ever uh, had that experience. You, you, you've desperately wanted to get a seat somewhere. Maybe you're a, you're a parent or a grandparent, and you're going to the school performance, and you, you're, you're held up, and you're late, and you're just thinking, oh, it's a disaster. I'm going to be behind all the big tall people with the video cameras and, and so on and the phones out and, and I'm never going to see them. And, and then you see a way up near the front that, that there might just be a little gap and, and you, you edge your way up the side and, and you say, is that, is that seat taken? And somebody turns to you and says, no, 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 come in. There, there's a place for you here. And you think, great, there's a place for me. Isn't it great whenever there's a place for you in the place that you want to be? And here there is a place for you. It's amongst those who are being sanctified. It just means those who are being made holy, more like Jesus. We trust him. His character begins to grow in us. We can hardly explain it, but we start to love the things he loves and hate the things he hates. It's a pretty incredible commission, isn't it? A pretty remarkable result. Here is just little Paul. He's standing before the, the most powerful people imaginable. And if you say to them, now, Agrippa and, and, and Festus, here's a challenge for you. Can you open eyes? Can, can you take people from under the power of Satan to God? Can you get people's sins forgiven? Can you give people a place amongst those who are being sanctified? What would they have said? They'd have said, oh, no, no, we can't do that. But that was what Paul was sent to do because what he was able to do was to preach Christ. And Jesus does all of those things. If you're here today and you're a Christian and you've had a difficult week, maybe you're facing some hard things, don't miss what has taken place within your life. You've had your eyes opened. You've been moved from Satan's power to God. You've been forgiven. You've got a place amongst those that God is working in to make them more like Jesus. He's, he's done that in you, and he's doing that in you day by day. 
And, and this was what Paul was commissioned to do, to go and to make that happen with people. Commission. And then there's a challenge. Because none of this is automatic. It doesn't happen without a response. There's a challenge that comes to people to receive Christ. Paul speaks about it here in verse 20. I preach that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. This is what happens. Christ is presented, the Christ who can do all these things. Then the call comes, turn to God, repent. You're going the wrong way, Paul is saying. Turn around. And and it's not just about words. It's not just some sort of mere mental assent. If it's a turning that is real, your life will show it. There'll be evidence. Prove your repentance by your deeds. And this call is not just for people at the bottom of society, but it's for governors and for kings, for everybody. And so Paul turns to Agrippa, verse 25, 26, what I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it is not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Agrippa seemed to be very familiar with the teachings of the scriptures, with the the claims of the prophets, with their telling us that that there was going to be one coming, a Messiah was going to come. And, And now we see, you see, that in Paul's mind, Agrippa is amongst those who need to turn to God and repent. And he knows it, but he deflects it. Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? He knows exactly what's going on. And Paul says wonderfully, short time or long, I pray God that not only you but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. This is what you need, O king. You need to be like me. You you need to have what what I have. You you need to to know who, who I know. You see what's happening here? Paul is brought before Agrippa that Agrippa might decide what to do with Paul. But Agrippa ends up wrestling over what he should do about Jesus. So often the way, isn't it? Agrippa begins as the judge, but he ends up as the one who's on trial. That's what happens, isn't it? We, we sort of think, you know, some of us have been in that position. It's been part of our Christian story. We've, we've had a time in our life when we think, Do you know, I, I, I'll, I'll evaluate Christianity. I'll measure it up. I, I, I'll see. I'll see what this Jesus has to offer. I, I'll, I'll judge him. I, I'll, I'll call him to account, as it were. And then as we begin to examine him, we realize that actually we're the ones that are on trial. What are we going to do with him? That's how Jesus works. We can't really interact with him without this sort of interaction taking place, with us being on trial. We've got to decide what we do with Jesus. And we've got to know that this is the greatest question that we face. What will we do with Jesus? We, we must become like Paul, apart from the chains, a Christian. It's the greatest issue. Are you a Christian? The Bible says it's what you need to be. Three simple applications as we, as we finished. First of all, if you're a believer here today, as we said, look, be encouraged. 
Paul stands before the the great and the good in this trial and says, you need to be like me. Whatever else is going on in your life, you you need to be a Christian. If you're a Christian, therefore, the greatest issue that you face in your life is settled. That's, that's, That's not to make you complacent. You've been given a place amongst those who are being made holy. But but nothing else you face will threaten this. You've been brought to God. Rest in that. Be encouraged. And then and then secondly, if you're a Christian, just think about how you you see the world. You, you know we, we, we live in this world that that, that that just sort of says, live and let live, as long as, as long as you agree with me, it's sort of live and let live. But, but we, can, we can get sucked into that as well, can't we? That's, well, you know, this is for me, but, but they're choosing to go their own way. That's okay. I'm not going, to, not going to annoy them. But do you see that Paul has this burning burden that all around him should become as he is. Not that he thinks he is great, but they should find what he has found. He's like the, the beggar who wants other beggars to know where he has found bread. You, you, your heart, my heart, should burn like Paul's does. I want you to become like what I am. Someone who knows Jesus. Do you feel that for your office colleagues, for your friends, for your family, those that you're going to see through this week? I pray, God, that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, apart from these chains. Is that your heartbeat? And then, and then finally, if, if, if you're not a believer, can you see this? This message, this message that, that Paul suffered for, that, that he took to the very center of the empire. Who is this message for? It's for kings. It's for servants. It's for men. It's for women. It's for black. It's for white. It cuts across every division that our world would, would throw up and say, this message is for you. You, you need this. Can you see it? Is God opening your eyes? Let's pray that God might help us as we pray to him. Let's pray together.